Welcome to today's episode. I originally posted this episode earlier this week, but I took it down when I noticed some inaccuracies in my statements. The subject matter covered in this episode is a debate about the regulation of cannabis in the state of Illinois. Currently, there are more than 10 state agencies overseeing the regulation of cannabis, which some attribute to the failures we have seen in the industry. This has led to discussions on how to unify regulators under one umbrella. In the past, proposals have been made for a cannabis commission. However, this episode covers a new proposal for a cannabis agency that has the backing of the state of Illinois. It's important to note that these terms are not interchangeable, at least from what I've been able to tell. And the state seems to support the idea of a cannabis agency, while others support the idea of a commission. Some background. I recently attended an invite-only meeting with the Cannabis Working Group, led by Representative LaShawn Ford. The group's priority is to ensure the success of individuals who have invested in the newly created industry. The meeting was recorded, but the meeting was not shared with attendees. However, I was able to obtain a recording from an anonymous source. Scott Redman from the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association is going to provide accurate details surrounding this meeting. Uh, just a little bit of background on, on, on how this all came up, because I was in the, room, in the room for that as well. Um, there is a legislative working group. There is a, a working group of legislators um, that has been formed to try to figure out the issues that need to be addressed and come up with legislation. And they that working group, headed by uh, Representative LaShawn Ford, um, asked a number of the stakeholder groups, such as IACGA, such as CBAI, Chicago Normal, CEIC, et cetera, um, to speak to them and give them our thoughts on, um, on agency versus commission. And we all did. So I've added an introduction to this episode, which you're watching right now, to provide this necessary context. As well, I've uh, included an excerpt from the recording that I obtained with permission from my source. I've also added excerpts from my recent conversation with Scott Redman from the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association. Other than those additions, the content of this episode is largely unchanged from what I originally released earlier this week. So again, I will say I have made an effort to correct my previous inaccuracies, and I believe that I have addressed each one of them. But to reiterate, what I, the mistake I made, as I alluded to earlier, was using cannabis agency and commission as interchangeable, as interchangeable terms. They are not interchangeable terms. So to make it very clear, I'd like to reiterate that the state of Illinois seems to back the idea of the creation of one state agency, while others support the idea of one cannabis commission. This episode aims to provide insight, clarity, 
and most importantly, transparency into this ongoing debate. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode on the debate surrounding the future of regulatory oversight in the Illinois cannabis industry. Today is April 5th, 2023. My name is Colt Preston, and today I wanted to start a discussion about a debate that I recently became aware of. There's a debate, apparently, on whether we should have one cannabis agency or one cannabis commission. To start this episode, I'm going to feature the perspective of Shaleen Title, and I'll be right back with some more thoughts before we introduce our next guest. My name is Shaleen Title. I'm founder and director of Parabola Center, a nonprofit think tank working on drug policy for people, not corporations. I also served as a commissioner in Massachusetts from 2017 to 2020 as a cannabis regulator. Thanks for joining today. So there's a debate right now in Illinois. In the past, there have been proposals for a centralized cannabis commission. Recently, I've seen a proposal uh, for a centralized cannabis agency. And I'm curious to know, you know, you mentioned you have experience in a commission. Uh, I think it's a good place to start. Is there, is there a difference? What is the difference from your perspective between an agency and a commission? Well, commission is a broad term. So you could use it to describe any number of things. The commission that I served on was in fact an agency, an independent government agency that was separate from say the Department of Revenue or the Department of Health. It was not under uh, the governor's office or any other office. It was it was largely independent. And so I think that I, I picture that when I picture a commission, but also there are commissions that are more like advisory boards where people are appointed and they're actually advising the people in the government um, from the outside. So that may be another option. Awesome. And, um, you know, like you mentioned, uh, is it correct for me to to take away the conclusion that commissions are often independent and their members are appointed by elected officials, but they are kind of I, what I was hearing in the meeting was that, uh, you know, since we passed, since we achieved cannabis legalization through the legislature, we are bound by the legislature to have action. And so if you create a commission independent of the legislature, maybe we could have more agile, let's say, responses um, Absolutely. to policy issues. Yeah, so that's why I personally would support this approach, definitely, because there's only so much you can do in legislation. And legislation is bills written by generalists, people who are not specific to cannabis. And so when they, I guess, what's the word? Um, when they delegate the implementation of the law to 
a board or a commission or whatever the word is, a regulatory agency that's then in charge of implementing the law, they become the experts in cannabis. And to your point, they are more flexible because their job is really to collect data and look at the data and then adjust the regulations as needed. And usually they'll do this in a period where they take public comment, they listen to it, they put out a draft, and then they take comments on the draft and then they finalize it. So this is a way for um, a state to have one agency that's in charge of cannabis that they can go to. Whereas in Illinois, I think it's largely known as the most decentralized where you have, is it 10 or 11 different agencies that are working on cannabis? And you know, based on my experience, it seemed like that would be really difficult, that it would be really scattered. Absolutely. Um, so I'm curious, you know, with regard to the math. So one of the things they said, pro agency, anti, let's just say anti commission or against commission. I don't know exactly to frame what I'm saying. They say that because a commission requires a quorum that it sometimes you see less progress as a result because everybody's got to be there. Have you seen that in commissions that either you've seen in Massachusetts or anywhere else? Is that an accurate like argument against a commission? Well, I think you could have a commission like the one I served on where not only do you need a quorum, but you need to have public meetings in order to vote with a quorum. And I would say that definitely does slow down the process, but it's absolutely worth it. I, I feel pretty strongly about that because we had a very difficult time as individuals, as five commissioners, because we were not allowed to negotiate or make any sort of rules or even have conversations with the quorum, which means that three of us couldn't have a, a substantive conversation unless it was in public. But that is a really strong form of transparency. And so the public is always able to see what you're discussing, the materials that you're basing the discussion on, and to be part of the conversation. And so if you don't do that, you're allowing boards or, you know, whoever it may be to have these conversations behind closed doors, you know, and typically with lobbyists. And of course, it's typically going to be the larger corporations that have the ability to access these folks, that have the ability to write draft language. And so you're already kind of um, in a position that that favors those large corporations. And so the transparency and requiring the quorum these are safety measures to make sure that all stakeholders are able to participate. Thank you. Um, one of the um, insights that was shared, and I'll be roughly paraphrasing because I was frantically taking notes um, uh, from, I believe, a former colleague of yours, David Lakeman, uh, was that he said, talking about commissions, he said, once commissioners are appointed, there's no controlling what they say, again, since they're independent, and that at times could be a challenge. Um, in contrast, he said at an agency, there's this like clear line of responsibility from the director of that agency to the governor and, and of course, to the legislature. Um, and there's the normal budget process, the normal budget hearing process, all normal oversight would apply. Um, 
is there anything like I'm so it sounds like the one of the things I gathered from the the discussion was that either way, agency or commission, they will still be subject to politics. And by that, I mean in the past we've had uh, governors that let's just say weren't friendly to cannabis and even dissolved some advisory boards. Um, I, my question is advisory commission, whatever approach, is there a way to insulate or protect – uh, the the agency or commission um, that you that you've seen or that you know of or protect them from what? So let's just say that let's in a hypothetical nightmare scenario, we got a new governor that was not friendly to cannabis, and he was like, "Fuck the cannabis commission," um, and dissolved it. Is there any way that you know of? And I know that it's maybe hard to answer because state by state how the laws work with commissions or agencies may differ, but I wasn't sure if you were aware of any way to almost insulate it from politics um, so that something like that couldn't happen. Yeah. So I largely served in an agency like that because it was created by statute and it was not under the control of the governor. And so I guess it's fair to say that a drawback is you have to be very careful about who the commissioners are that are appointed if they're independent, because yes, they don't have to do anything that the governor says, um, and they can really speak freely. Um, and I, I certainly took advantage of that. But that's also a good thing, because I think independence where you're not relying on a governor for anything, particularly when it's an anti-cannabis governor, um, I think that's largely going to put the agency's decisions more in line with the people than with politics. And that's also why you don't have directly elected commissioners typically, because um, at least in our case, there were five of us and we were appointed by three different offices, the governor, the attorney general, and the treasurer, because you don't want any of those offices to have control over the commission. Gotcha. And um, I, and I, I want to just return to this before we wrap up. From your perspective, like, is there a difference between agency or commission? Or are they somewhat like synonymous? I, I honestly am not sure. So I, I'm trying to put together the context from the questions you're asking me because I haven't looked at this. Sure. But I think from the context, it sounds like the commission would be an independent agency like the one I served on yeah. and the agency that's being described would be under the executive office or the governor. So the pros of that is, you know, you don't have to start something from scratch. You already have resources. You already have staff. Um, you can have people that you can ask for help. Uh, but the cons of it is that you're really under the control of someone who has political motivations. Thank you. I think you just, if you saw the light bulb go off, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so it's like the the idea of a commission, it would create a, a board of commissioners, but an agency, it would create a governmental agency under the government that, like I mentioned, David mentioned, uh, would go through the normal budgetary process and everything else. Because of course, at least in Illinois, the the purse is held by the Illinois state legislature. So you're not getting money without their approval, you know, mm -hmm. so- um, well, great. Uh, thank you for, uh, 
offering um, some insights. Is there anything else that you wanted to add that we should consider as we make these uh, as we make these decisions? Just that I think you should listen to the existing regulators because they've been doing this for some time in Illinois and they probably have the best sense. Certainly David Lakeman is a great one because he also has experience with the commission in Massachusetts. But I think all of the regulators there are going to know uh, what to do and I would probably support anything they ask for. Awesome. Well, thanks, Shaleen. Um, Before we go, do you want to, I don't know if you mentioned already your website. Our website is parabolacenter.com. We're holding our first in-person event this June in Boston. You can check that out on our social media at Parabola Center on Instagram and Twitter. Perfect. Thank you, Shalene. Thank you. So the note that we ended on that, that really helped me uh, understand this issue is the difference between a commission and an agency. And honestly, if you pop quiz me, I, I might still fail uh, what the actual difference is between the two. Um, but I feel like with Shaleen's uh, guidance, I was able to have that light bulb moment and ultimately uh, see the difference between the two approaches. So here's the question. What is the right approach? I I don't know the answer to that, but let me give you some context into what was discussed that day. Um, So, you know, let's just start with the idea that I mentioned in the show, which is that there was in the past, sorry, in the interview that you just saw, uh, there was in the past a, a proposal for a commission. Now there's a proposal for an agency, right? And so let's just... Uh, that was reported by Gronin on March 7th, 2023, Mike Fouché. The headline is Illinois Regulatory Consolidation Bill Quietly Introduced with Administration Fingerprints All Over It. It was a 379-page bill that would consolidate Illinois cannabis oversight from multiple agencies into one uh, Cannabis Equity and Oversight Commission, Right. And so this, I will share my screen just if you're curious to see this report, we'll have it linked in the podcast description. Um, This is the bill that was filed in the past. It was uh, supported by the former crew office. And in fact, in the meeting that I was in, um, Aaron Johnson, uh, the currently uh, acting CROO, said uh, something to the effect of there's no reason uh, for me to say that it's not true that she, she being Danielle Perry, did support the idea of the commission. Uh, but she made it clear that the governor and the current CROO support the idea of an agency. And uh, one of the things I specifically noted is that there are, quote, very serious differences between Danielle Perry's previous CROO draft and the current bill. Uh, She said that they removed things from Danielle Perry's previous proposal, uh, one specific provision which prevents 
or it, I can't remember exactly. I'm familiar with this provision. I just can't remember exactly the language that it reads. Um, but it's the idea that no dispensary can have more than 40% of any product, I believe. I believe that's the regulation. And, you know, from the governor's office's perspective, from Aaron, from what Aaron Johnson said, that measure is imperative for social equity, um, specifically for the craft growers. Um, so it was a very interesting statement to hear from the CROO. Another thing that I noted is that she said something to the effect of uh, there were very serious changes made that would harm social equity, which is a problem for this administration as a whole. Or um, I think maybe she said problem for this administration as a whole and myself, something to the effect. I was frantically taking notes. <laughs> um, and so uh, – she said this actually in response to Pamela Altoff, who is a person I'll include a perspective from in this episode later today. Pam asked, you know, about the fact that the uh, the commission was previously uh, something that they had discussed. And um, that's when Aaron Johnson said what she said, you know, that there's no reason to deny that. Um, the former CROO supported a commission, um, but that the current CROO support the idea – the current CROO and the governor's office supports the idea of an agency. And like I said, she specifically mentioned that 40% language um, being in apparently the commission uh, idea that was proposed by Daniel Perry, which is something that I totally didn't know, and you could also tell that many other people – in the room were very surprised to learn. Um, and Pam Altoff did, you know, uh, make a response to that. Um, she said something to the effect of there was no intent to do that. I think maybe she was speaking from, you know, the perspective of CBAI and, and their conversations with the CROO. Um, the CBAI, by the way, is the Cannabis Business Association of Illinois, if you're not familiar. I'm about to play an excerpt of the recording that I obtained. This excerpt details the moment that I just described. Most of this excerpt, by request of my source, does not have video. I think it's very important to pay attention to the parts that do have video. Uh, let's go right to Pam and Jordan, and then we have to wrap up. We're all over an hour. I, and thank you again, Ms. Uh, Representative. I just want to clarify the legislation that um, we are supporting and that was worked on was kind of a collaboration with the crew office. Framework of that legislation was done with, and admittedly, Erin, I see you shaking your head. Um, admittedly, there were some changes to that, but again, all I'm indicating is that that was. Um, kind of a position that was taken before on a commission level as opposed to an agency doesn't mean we can't still go forward and talk about what's possible but I, I agree I think that is something that needs um, attention and, and sooner rather than later we've heard from all the legislators that this is they want this to be an agreed bill process so we need to, to develop consensus as rapidly as we possibly can and this session moves fast can I just respond to that really quickly, Representative Ford? I just want to point out. Um, 
I realized that the previous crew um, supported a commission. I'm not going to lie, but there's no reason to, to not say that it's true. She did. Um, what I can tell you is that the governor and my team and the governor's administration supports an agency. Um, I will also just point out that there are some very serious differences, um, just for transparency's sake, between the bill that Danielle Perry, previous crew, um, drafted and HB 1436. Um, and so we don't need to get into a debate right now about it, but I will tell you that there are things that were deleted in 1436, like um, the 40% no, no dispensary having more than 40% of one product on their shelves. That is imperative for social equity, specifically craft grow. Um, and so we, I, I would just say, and not to mention expanding the board, I think Danielle said five, this one said seven, and gives the majority and minority leaders from both chambers the ability to appoint members to the commission. Um, so I would just, I would just say that before we say, well, crew, I worked on this with crew, like, let's be accurate that there were very serious changes made that will harm social equity, which is a problem for me, but also for this administration as a whole. That's great. Um, Jordan? Yeah, real quick. Uh, yeah, I was not aware that, first of, all, first of all, thank you to everyone, you know, hosting this today. Uh, one, thank you, Aaron, for bringing that up. I was not aware of that. Uh, Rep. Evans, uh, can you comment on that? And then second, um, all the other elected officials present, can you, are you able to provide uh, your opinion or comment on whether or not you support an agency versus a commission? Thank you. Well, actually, Jordan, the uh, members of this um, of this work group has made a commitment to listen and not take a position. And so um, we really need to hear from you all, and this is what this is about. For sure. I was just, you know, kind of like I said in the chat, we have not a, had enough time to digest you know, read and discuss. So I was just wondering if the elected officials had time. I'm not sure it's oh, we're, we're fair actually, that we have to answer that and they don't. Yeah. We're right where you're at. Um, this is actually new um, to us as well. Um, and so, yeah, Jordan, that's where we're at as well. And uh, uh, Leader Evans, did you have a response? Not about no, 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 even, I think he has a good point. It's not about which one is better. We're trying to determine that. So all conversations laying out the facts and making sure we agree on the facts, then the facts will determine what's the best route. That, that we got to remove our personal agendas and no we ain't protecting no jobs, we're not protecting no views. All we're putting out is the facts. So we're listening to your facts, we're clarifying the facts, then the facts will reveal what's sure, the how about the, the shelf space? Uh, I don't think anybody, at least in our working group, was aware that you know that forty percent was going to be removed or had been removed. It's critical nothing's been removed that's an old bill that doesn't matter throwing out these bill numbers are irrelevant we're not discussing bills we're discussing the facts once we lay out the facts for to get lrb to, to develop any bill so all bills okay. don't okay no i was just saying because i seen a one pager by cbai that had 1436 on there so i wasn't sure if you know i wanted clarification of that but again thank you can i answer the two report just real quickly there was no that 40 percent if that's being read in there, there was no intent to do that whatsoever. All right, this is going to be um, wrapping up, and I just want to see if anybody, if we could end on. So again, we'll be having Pamela Altoff's perspective on the show here in a moment. But I wanted to give some of the background. Uh, there does seem to be a debate 
between the idea of a commission and the idea of an agency. So Scott Redman is about to provide his perspective of that moment, and he's also going to provide some breaking news. Now, this excerpt was recorded on 4-25-2023. Right now I'm looking at the clock and it says 7.53 p.m. I spoke to Scott earlier today at around 5 p.m. So the breaking news that he has to share, I just wanted to put it into context, uh, the timing for you all. Um, what you're watching right now was recorded at 7.54 p.m. And this, what you're about to see, was recorded earlier today at 5 p.m. It includes Scott's perspective of the moment you just listened to and some breaking news about the status of the agency proposal specifically. And in the and crew was on that call. And in the context of that call, it was raised about the 40-60, the, the 40% rule. And for those that don't know the 40% rule, there's a provision in the CRTA that says that no dispensary can have on its shelves more than 40% product of, you know, more than no more than 40% of their shelf can be from one manufacturer. So that prevents Cresco, uh, you know, a Cresco dispensary from having all Cresco product. Okay. And, and, and as, as you pointed out, that is an important thing for craft growers because we want to make sure that there is an opportunity to get on shelves at these large uh, MSO dispensaries. So, it was pointed out on that call that in the draft legislation that was providing for a commission-based regulatory structure, that that forty that in there was also a provision that took out the forty percent rule. Now on the call, um, CBAI's representative made it very clear that oh 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 that was a mistake. Um, that is not our intention. That's a mistake. So uh, you know it's yet to move forward in any way. It's all being discussed. But I, to be fair to CBAI, they said that that was a mistake. Yeah, um, wasn't supposed to be there. Um, in terms of Crew's position on commission versus agency, the bill that's out there right now that was started to float last year was a bill that was drafted by Danielle Perry, who was the former Crew, um, the former Cannabis Regulatory Oversight Officer. Um, she is no longer, in, in, and she was in favor of a commission. And and I'm not sure why. Um, I'm not sure if you know if she was tighter with the, the large MSOs than 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 um, than not. I don't know. I, I don't want to to guess. But you are correct. It was a it was a commission model, and it was formally supported by the prior crew. And so when you say it's so when people need to understand that we use the term crew to really describe a group, an agency. But really, the crew is a person. It's Aaron Johnson now. It is a regulatory officer. So it's like saying that, hey, the United States government was in favor of X when Trump was in office, and now they're not in favor of X or in favor of Y when Biden's in office. So I, I think there's a lot to do with that. And the new uh, the new uh, regime at crew feels that um, that, that wasn't in the best interest of social equity or the industry. So they that, that's why they have changed. Um, let me expand a little bit more on this discussion because I've had conversations with crew as recently as the hour before our call. We were also in Springfield last week um, lobbying for a variety of different things. Um, I, I can tell you um, as of this moment, uh, it really is news as of uh, five o'clock on, on uh, Tuesday, 
um, that we believe that the agency format of regulatory oversight is has the majority support in the House um, of the Black Caucus um, and has majority support in the Senate. But, always a but, but there is a problem, there is a substantial issue in, and, and that the Senate Executive Committee, which decides on which bills get discussed and voted on in the Senate, is against the agency model and has said, and I can tell you has said to me personally, and, I, and obviously a committee didn't speak to me, but the committee's voice said to me and a number of other people, it will either be a commission or there will be nothing, which meant to us and means to other people in 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 um, in this uh, brouhaha and that either we agree that it can be a commission model or no cannabis legislation is going to get out of the Senate, and that's a real problem, and and it it is not um, without note that. Um, that the big guys spend a lot of money on lobbying and they spend a lot of money on political donations. We spend a little money on lobbying and we have made no political donations. We just, we're a bunch of people that don't have businesses yet. Um, and it's, um, we still have a, a month or so to go in this, in this session, a little less than a month. And we certainly hope to change some minds. Um, but there's at least some groups out there um, that are willing to, to forego all cannabis um, legislation that's needed if they don't get their way. And that's not good politics. That's not good. That's not good governance. Um, maybe it's good politics. I don't know, but it's not good governance. And from, from our perspective, we hope to be able to have some, some very serious discussions. When I say our, I mean, those of us that are in support of the agency, which are pretty much all the social equity advocacy groups, the social equity license groups, crew, Department of Ag, IDFPR, we're hoping to have conversations with the Senate leadership to be able to say, hey, majority of Senate wants this, majority of House wants this, the majority of the industry wants this. You have to keep in mind, there are over 200, if not 300 transport license holders there's 88 craft growers. There's 50-some infusers. There are like eight. Um, and, and then there's then there's 200 and there's what, 200 and some, 185 dispensaries. Everybody's social equity. You couldn't get a license in any of those categories if you didn't qualify as social equity. There are all those license holders. And there are basically eight or so large license holders. They are not the industry. They are a piece of the industry, but they are not the industry by per capita at all. I mean, there are far more of us than there are of them. And, and that's a point that we have to just keep making. Anytime you talk about anything social equity, there are far more social equity license holders than there are non-social equity license holders. And, and But for the social equity component in the CRA, CRTA, there wouldn't be adult use. This was part of the deal. The medical um, license holders, who are all the big guys for the most part, they wanted adult use. They wanted recreational cannabis. Um, they were losing their shirt, as any of them will tell you quickly. They were losing a lot of money on medical only. I, I understand that, and it's not a debate. And they wanted adult use. And the way they got adult use was to build in 
this social equity component that this is really for social equity. They get all these new licenses. Um, and so when you look at the industry, it was created for social equity. It's dominated by social equity. Social equity needs to be the, the, the social equity license types needs to be the focus and it should not be um, outshouted, if you will, um, by the, the small group of very large uh, cultivators. I want to thank Scott Redman from the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association for joining me on my show. Um, as I alluded to earlier, these are excerpts from my conversation with Scott. If you'd like to see the full context, the full conversation, check out episode number 276. That's the full conversation. You can check out our entire conversation on the Cannabis Commission versus agency and several other legislative priorities that the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association has. Let's listen to Pamela Altoff's perspective on agency or commission. Got to ask you, you know, you mentioned commission. I was in a meeting recently where the CROO was proposing an agency. Uh-huh. What's the difference? Um, the, the biggest difference is transparency. A commission has meetings in the public. Right. They have them every month. Um, you know exactly what's going on. Um, you have access to those commissioners. They're still appointed by the governor. So there still is obviously that, you know, administrative um, oversight. But the, the biggest difference is the transparency and the access to commissioners and the availability of being significantly more nimble in addressing them and interpreting the law. Yeah. Now, I realize I'm, you know, I'm asking you to speak on something maybe you can't, but why do you think there is a push all of a sudden, you know, the, the state had pushed for a, a commission in the past. Now they're proposing an agency. What's the I can't, you know what? I, I can't opine. I, I, I have no idea. And you're right. The state did. We originally had spoken with the crew officer at the time and had discussed a commission. And that's we went in that direction and thought, again, it was very similar to all the other um, syntaxes in Illinois, gaming and um, liquor. And so obviously you would have a cannabis commission that would follow suit. I, I can't opine as to why that that changed. I still think that, you know, again, I love the idea of putting cannabis under one, you know, umbrella. I just don't think that you get the transparency and the um, rapid response that a, a nascent industry needs. And a commission would be certainly in the better interest of the industry. Thank you. Um, yeah, that was that was uh, an interesting thing. So, and I noticed you mentioned commission earlier. So, I also wanted yes. to kind of mm-hmm. clarify that you, you, it sounds like you support the idea of a commission versus an agency. So, um, we 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 again, you know, experts experts in the industry who would be helping us move forward, analyzing what needs to come next. You know, having more data. Um, it, it just is, is the better way to go. And we've had examples of that, obviously, since, I, I don't know, when was liquor, 1934, something like that. So that's Pamela Altop's perspective um, on the debate between Cannabis Agency, Cannabis Commission. You may have noticed I asked Pam if she was able to weigh in on why the state changed their stance while she was not able to provide her perspective on the matter, I was able to ask the state what their perspective was on the matter. And well, here's that interaction. 
Hey Brad, thanks for and 1871 Grown In for hosting. Uh, Vaughn, I had a question for you. Thank you for coming again. It's only one of you, like you mentioned. Um, a little bit of, uh, over a year ago, it was reported by a relatively small publication who none of us have heard about, Grown In, uh, that the office of the CROO indicated that they supported the idea of a cannabis commission, and today you indicated support for an agency. Two questions. Honestly, what's the difference? That's a little bit elementary, so forgive me. Um, but s second question, why the change of heart? Did you even hear my? I did. Okay, sorry. I, I did. Uh, so the first question is, what's the difference between a commission setup and an agency setup? Uh, I will not bore you with the very long technical legal <laughs> answer. The main difference is who's at the top. An agency has a single person at the top. There's that one person that's accountable for everything that agency does. For IDFPR, it's Secretary Trado. Uh, for the proposed agency, it will be a, a director or secretary. For a commission, it's a group of people. Uh, so all of those people are responsible for the decisions being made uh, by that agency or that commission. Uh, part of the issue that you see with commissions, and I have a little bit of experience working on this, uh, prior to taking this role, I was advised, I've advised a lot of our state professional boards. Um, and part of the issue you see is the issue with being as responsive as an agency can as a commission model. Everything a commission does, they have to vote on. It has to be public meetings. Um, and that slows down the ability to respond both to public health emergencies as well as for an industry like this that is changing daily. Uh, there are new new developments, uh, new issues that we're seeing, um, and I think the the reason that change came about is we really reexamined what is going to be best for this industry, what is going to be best for not only uh, being able to be responsive, but also to help protect social equity. Uh, if you have a commission, uh, they can respond as quickly as an agency can. They uh, may have other ideas that, that come from the private sector, which may help some, but may not have the focus of social equity. So in re-examining that, uh, I think both the Cruz office, uh, as well as members of uh, the Pritzker administration came to the conclusion that an agency setup is the best way to be responsive, to protect social equity, and make sure that we are continuing to focus on social equity and, and helping a socially equitable market grow. Thanks, Vaughn. So to recap some of the perspectives that I witnessed in the meeting, you know, uh, David Lakeman, for example, thinks an agency would be more efficient than a commission given his experience in Massachusetts, which was interesting uh, to hear. Uh, like I said, the CROO definitely um, backs the idea of an agency. And in fact, I can share uh, I don't know if I'm actually allowed to share this. I have no idea. I got a one pager um, from the office of the CROO, um, and you can see that they are proposing restructuring cannabis regulation to one unified agency. Um, you can see the CROO logo down there. So, just giving you all a moment to take in what this is saying. Take a screenshot, whatever you want to do, I guess. Um, this is the one pager that's being passed around and you know why this isn't more public knowledge i don't know why it i mean look 
what the thing I was invited to was uh, I was invited, right? It wasn't a public thing. And so I don't know. I don't understand why these things aren't being discussed publicly, um, but I was told I could take notes. And so I'm taking notes and I'm discussing them. And I probably will never be invited to one of those meetings again. Um, but hey, you know, um, got to do what you got to do. Um, so, you know, it, it really, like I say, it, it sounds like the state would prefer an agency. We've got one more guest perspective we're going to feature in this episode. Um, but it really sounds like, um, you know, if you didn't notice off of my last conversation that protecting against, against politics is not a possibility. Um, for that. I, I think you heard on that call that you were on agency, 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 all the, the, the various stakeholder groups and advocacy groups, everybody was agency and CBAI was commission. But just in the, the spirit of transparency, since Pamela Altoff brought that up, one of the things that I really like about other boards that I've seen, and this is actually a point that was brought up during that meeting, um, the CCB in Nevada, and I'm displaying their website right now, you can literally, so first of all, uh, our CROO website has gotten a lot better. Um, you know, it has a lot of the information that this website has, for example, the laws around possession, consumption, growing at home, all of that good stuff. We've got that in Illinois. So go Illinois, right? But one of the things that we're really lacking in Illinois is is that transparency. And it's crazy to see that, you know, for example, I can look at the cannabis compliance board's commission meetings for the state of Nevada. And uh looks like they haven't met in in the year of 2023 yet, but I am looking at the year 2022 and check this out. I can go back and I can watch these meetings, which, you know, seems like all the conversations that are happening in Illinois cannabis are happening in private unless they're reported in the media in some way. And, you know, if we could achieve any semblance of transparency, but what I mean is some sort of avenue for the public um, to interact with the information and um, to be able to engage. That's the word. Anyways, before we move on to our next perspective, one of the concerns that was floated that I just remembered in the meeting that I attended was that, uh, you know, commissions, and I think I mentioned this during my conversation with Shaleen. Um, commissions could not have a quorum and that could be an issue. And this perspective, uh, and I've invited this individual onto my show, not heard back from them just yet, but they said throughout the history of Illinois or for at least the last 20 years, um, there have been, they said maybe three or four occasions total where a commission was not or did not have a sufficient uh, numbers to function. One was during the Rauner administration. Uh, the governor, I think, refused to make appointments. And the other was during the Blagojevich administration during a very um, small period of time, uh, like a, a window between his indictment and his impeachment. So um, basically she described that the idea that a commission wouldn't function compared to an agency because there wouldn't be enough 
they're just constantly being not, not enough members to quorum, which is definitely something the state was trying to say is that you always run into, or at least proponents of an agency. They were trying to say that, which includes the state. <laughs> they were trying to say that um, basically, you know, you're never going to have a quorum or very rarely are you going to have a quorum. And um, others spoke up and s- said, you know, that they've been on other commissions and they've experienced, you know, not ha- not having a quorum and not being able to move forward. But as Shaleen mentioned, that's actually maybe a good safeguard to have. Uh, but but it sounds like in all actuality, at least in Illinois, with regard to state commissions, that is um, very different. And another note that she made um, that is important to consider as you as you just listen to Shaleen's perspective and as you listen to our next guest's perspective, um, apparently Massachusetts law relating to commissions is vastly different from Illinois laws relating to uh, boards, tasks, task, task forces, uh, governing bodies, and commissions. Um, and she just described that, you know, the fact that Apparently, like I say, there's a huge difference between how Massachusetts does commissions and the way that, let's say, certain boards like uh, or certain bodies like the Illinois Liquor Commission, uh, the gaming board uh, or the lottery board functions. So it's almost like a not an apples to apples comparison. Um, But still, I wanted to I wanted to invite these perspectives so that we might learn something because uh, there's got to be there's got to be something here that we can learn. Grant, thank you for joining me. Please introduce yourself. Cole, good to be with you as always. My name is Grant Smith Ellis. I'm a grassroots cannabis activist and policy expert from Massachusetts. You can find my reporting uh, grantsmithellis.com, uh, also on my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash grantsmithellis, and on all so- social media platforms. I'm a grassroots reporter. I focus uh, on on the ground kind of uh, real world stories, and I'm excited to be back with you as I know we've chatted in the past, Cole. Yes. Thank you so much for your time, folks that are listening or watching. Uh, the links that uh, Grant just mentioned will be in the podcast description if that makes it easier for you. Um, Grant, as I told you before the show, we are trying to make a decision as a state uh, commission agency. And I just wondered, um, I know you have some wisdom that you can share, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, just as far as um, commissions go, I guess just to start, uh, for our listeners, it seems the difference would be that a commission, the commission approach would create a board of commissioners who would be appointed by elected officials, and those commissioners could act independently of the legislature um, versus an agency, which would be a state agency um, that could still act independently of the legislature, um, but would just would have, you know, that state agency, I guess, um, format, if you will. Um, what, what can you share about the, I guess, commission approach to, sh- to start? I know that Massachusetts has a cannabis commission. 
Yeah, and you know what's really interesting here in terms of Massachusetts as the microcosm for um, Illinois thinking about this uh, distinction between agency and commission is that Massachusetts adult use law was passed by the voters via question for a ballot question in November of 2016 and then implemented in the summer of 2017. That's where the Cannabis Control Commission was created, uh, that statute. But prior to that, Massachusetts had a medical program dating back to 2012, also passed by voter initiative, and that was run by a state agency. And one of the um, Senate negotiators in the summer of 2017 uh, in, on the Massachusetts um, um, Compromise Committee that kind of implemented the adult use law was Senator Patricia Jalen. She's still a senator to this day. Uh, and Senator Jalen um, weighed in at the time as to the transition from the Department of Public Health, a state agency that oversaw the medical program, to the Cannabis Control Commission. And one of the reasons lawmakers decided to make this shift was because the DPH, um, the commissioner, the, the head of the agency, was only appointed by one person in the executive department, whereas the Cannabis Control Commission in Massachusetts has tripartite appointment authority, which means the governor picks one seat, the AG picks another seat, the treasurer picks a third seat, and then the remaining two seats are picked by a majority vote of the governor, the AG, and the treasurer together. And Senator Jalen said the reason that the legislature was going to shift to this tripartite commission format was because eternal vigilance is the price we pay for our democracy and an independent commission with multiple elect elected officials overseeing the appointment process facilitates greater citizen engagement with those appointments and allows for a check and balance to more quickly occur than, it, than if there were to be a problem in a state agency, which acts, uh, answers only to an executive um, head. Um, like you said, they, an, an agency and a commission both don't answer to the legislature, but an agency answers to the executive, whereas a commission answers to different elected officials. Thank you for breaking that down. Um, one of the, you know, concerns that was floated in a meeting that I was in that I thought maybe you could impart some wisdom on, um, and I don't know that this is necessarily unique to a commission, so maybe you could weigh in on that part as well. But, you know, uh, one person floated uh, the idea that in other states there have reportedly been ethics concerns on cannabis commissions. Um, uh, so w any thoughts on that? I mean, like I say, I don't know that that's necessarily unique to commissions, agencies or politics in general, but um yeah, I don't think that's unique to any uh, agency or commission. There's always going to be um, some kind of subversive actor uh, that requires oversight, um, you know, who watches the the watch people kind of thing. Uh, but uh, fundamentally, um, the the agency approach, um, as I mentioned earlier, if something goes wrong and you only have one appointment authority and that appointment authority doesn't want to fix the problem, then, yeah, it becomes a really serious and difficult task. And we saw that happen with the medical program in Massachusetts when it was under the control of a, a state agency um, that program became a weapon of corporate dispensaries instead of a tool to empower patient access. 
The Cannabis Control Commission, on the other hand, because again, it has a number of different appointment authorities and five commissioners, has become kind of a, a bastion of sort of um, grassroots resistance to corporate subversion. Uh, is every commission going to function that way? No. Uh, is every agency going to become a, a tool of corporations and big cannabis companies? No. But on the whole, the more power is distributed, the more people that are involved in the appointment process, and the closer the citizens are to that process, the more integrity the oversight of this industry tends to have. And I personally feel a tripartite system of appointment for a five-member commission is the best way to go about doing that. I'm having trouble exactly formulating this question, um, but by nature, like who are the types of people that should fill this position? And by that, I mean, you know, obviously we want to vet them so that like you just said, it wouldn't become like a corporate paradise situation where you've got like an insider making rules. Um, I guess my question is born out of, I feel like there's going to be a lot of like made men selected. And I just wonder, are you aware of it within Massachusetts or any other commissions, if there's like appointed positions that are almost like community advocate positions, you know, that's not necessarily even talking about the industry, but talking about the consumer, the community, the, the patient. There are a lot of advisory board uh, positions that kind of play that role. And some people have proposed kind of creating a unitary role like that. I see that as even more open to subversion. Um, the way that corporate astroturf um, or subversion of the lawmaking or regulatory process happens is not directly. They're, the giant corporations don't buy off regulators. That is a federal crime and you will go to jail rightfully. Just ask the former mayor of Fall River, Massachusetts, Jaisal Correa, who is currently in prison for uh, selling his influence to give out local cannabis permits. Uh, but what the corporations will do is they will create plausible deniability by donating or giving money to a nonprofit or an advocate who will ostensibly be working to further the interests of patients or consumers, but in reality is just uh, uh, um, uh, working on behalf of the interests of corporations to uh, manipulate public discourse and then take over the regulatory or lawmaking process for their clients. That's the most common way that usurpation of our democratic process happens. Therefore, if your question to me is, what do I think is a good buttress against this uh, systemic sort of protection we can build? The answer isn't any one person being appointed to a commission or finding the right people to run these things. It's taking Dwight Eisenhower's insight from his final speech before his retirement uh, in the 1950s, um, before um, uh, Jack Kennedy came into office, when uh, Dwight Eisenhower said, we as a society have to always guard against the undue influence on behalf of any type of corporation or industry or otherwise in our democratic process. And that is a question of form, not of content. So we have to build structures, appointment structures, uh, regulatory structures, legislative structures that are resistant to the undue acquisition of artificial power by centralized corporate interests. So that's really how I would frame this discussion, not about who gets the seat, who's on the commission or otherwise, but how do we set up those processes so that they have integrity, 
And how do we make sure that the discussions that are occurring about the decisions these regulators and lawmakers are making are actually authentic and cogent to the discussion and not manipulated by these corporate astroturf groups? So yeah, my biggest red flag, you tell me you want a single person as an advocate or you, you want an, an, an oversight board that's um, sort of check and balanced by a single person, immediately huge red flag. Disbursement of power is uh, key. And I think that reflects the lesson we've learned in this country over and over again over the past 250 years. Thank you. So it sounds like between approaches, state agency versus commission, uh, you would maybe suggest towards commission. Is that accurate for me to take home? I think the key insight that I use, the key word I used as to the commission part of this is tripartite appointment authority. Right. So if there's going to be a commission, what distinguishes it from a state agency as to the pitfalls that we talked about is the commission needs three elected officials, ideally the governor, the attorney general, and the treasurer of a given state to each pick a member of the commission. And then the other two members of the commission should be picked by a majority vote of those three officials. And that way, there's no centralized power. There's a constant check and balance. And if a single appointment, if a person on the commission does something wrong, there is someone for the public to go to and say, hey, your appointment was not appropriate or they have acted this way. You are in charge. Make a change. That is the ideal structure. And also, it avoids creating any single fail point because changing a commissioner without losing institutional momentum is much easier than changing the, a unitary agency director uh, because the institutional knowledge um, will persevere. And one thing that's crucial in that regard is staggered term expiration dates. So if you are going to do a appointed commission and you're going to have five members, stagger the end of the terms so that there's always a commissioner um, who was there previously during turnover, because folks will find that you can build a wonderful fire truck, even on the way to the fire. But if you don't hand over the keys and the instruction manual, the next people to come in are going to be very confused. And part of that is done through making sure that commissioners terms don't all end at the same time. Thank you. So what else might we consider moving forward? Um, you really leaned into that concept of the the appointments. Oh, before before I actually ask you that question, um, I wanted to ask: Is it possible, uh, agency, commission, whatever? Is it possible to shield that? And I know I realize you're in Massachusetts and in, in, in Illinois, and uh, may differ with regard to how we treat agencies and commissions. But I'm just trying to ask, generally speaking, are you aware of any way we can almost insulate uh, this either commission or agency from politics? And the reason I ask that question is uh, born out of fear of a anti-cannabis governor of which we've had in the past. And so um, the idea would be to protect it from just being like dissolved or you know not appointed or something like that. Um, what are your thoughts on what I've just said? Well, another interesting parallel to Massachusetts is the governor here, uh, the prior governor who was here when adult use started uh, and had an appointment to the commission, um, was anti-cannabis, uh, Governor Charlie Baker. Uh, he actually uh, ran the campaign for a safe and healthy Massachusetts, which tried to defeat question four in 2016. 
uh, in Massachusetts to legalize adult use cannabis, but he lost. Um, him and Marty Walsh, they both lost. And much to their chagrin, 54% to 46%. But what happened with, um, well, two things here. What happened with Governor Baker after um, he lost the ballot question? He was obviously still governor. Um, for the first few years, yeah, there were a few appointments to the commission, uh, one or two that were anti-cannabis. Um, but over time, um, and this is really the insight, you're picking an office to appoint the seat, not a person. And over time in Massachusetts, we just elected a Democratic governor who will now get an appointment. Um, now the commission is almost entirely full of people who were pro-cannabis. So that's thing one. Thing one is just recognizing that you're not picking a person, you're picking an office, and that's how you insulate it from partisan politics, because over time, there's a natural ebb and flow. The second thing, well, the second insight is that everything is political. So you're never going to insulate anything from politics because everything is political. And recognizing that realpolitik is key to building this agency in a way that protects it from the more subversive political forces out there. There are authentic grassroots political forces. There are subversive greed-driven corporate forces. There are government forces, but everything is political. You're not going to get away from it. Hoping it will be a nonpartisan, nonpolitical agency is, is a fool's errand, and it's better to just recognize that's going to happen. Then the third thing, which is how to actually prevent there from being any sort of anti-cannabis zealotry or propagandizing or, um, you know, take uh, sort of an anti-cannabis takeover, that comes back to the, the cogency of the public discourse that surrounds the developments that occur in this agency. So or this commission, as, as the case may be in Illinois, uh, whatever route you go. If you notice, as I'm sure you do, Cole, I broadcast every meeting, every eight-hour monthly meeting of the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission. I provide a free broadcast that includes pre-broadcast commentary, commentary during the breaks, and post-broadcast commentary. I do that because that is the only way uh, to ensure that the discussions that the members of the public are going to be having about the actions of this agency are actually about the decisions being made and not about sort of the wider ideological insipid propaganda that could lead to a situation that you're worried about. So it's really about folks like yourself, Cole, keeping the public engaged on merit and keeping the public's uh, cogency up to ensure that the discussions this commission um, are having are always data-driven, um, are always rooted uh, in the science and, and fact, and of course are always um, hostile towards any propagandizing or anti-cannabis zealotry. So that's, that I think it's kind of a, a uh, reflection of what we talked about earlier. To build good laws, you need a cogent and informed citizenry, and to make sure that the laws are implemented in uh, the regulations in an authentic way, you also need an informed and cogent citizenry, which is to say, no days off, no civic abdication, do your duty, stay informed, and play your part. That's what I would say. Thank you. And um, back to the question I was about to ask before I thought of that. Um, Anything else that we should consider or or you know talk about um, as we move forward and and make these decisions? Either way, do you have any considerations we should have at the forefront of our mind? I think the most important lesson I've learned over the past five years was a quote that um, very austere or very inspiring mentor of mine once told me, which is that. 
If you want to understand the philosophy of Hegel, you have to look at how its form and its content met at Stalingrad in 1944. And I think that's something we can learn about the cannabis industry as well. Throughout the United States, if you look at the content of any one state system, you are going to end up in an absolute hedge maze of just um, um, intricacies and complexities that won't actually solve the problem that you're trying to address in Illinois. But if you look at the form that's emerging across these different states, some of the general principles that are being reflected, equity priority periods, access to capital, warding off first mover advantage for consolidated corporate multi-state operators, access to canopy um, for smaller companies. All of these things come together to form a palette of available choices that policymakers and well-intentioned grassroots activists can come together to use to build their life's work, which becomes the canvas upon which these legislative and regulatory frameworks are painted. You have a wonderful opportunity to build uh, your masterpiece in Illinois, and I have faith that the canvas being uh, constructed and the materials being brought to the table and all of the different people involved um, will ensure that that process plays out in a way that leaves a um, sustainable, viable, and um, uh, uh, accessible adult and medical use framework for uh, the state of Illinois. Thank you, Grant. Uh, Grant, before I let you go, please go ahead and plug your website and anything else you have going on. Oh, thanks, Cole. Very much great to be with you as always and really appreciate all the work you're doing. Uh, as you mentioned, you can find me, patreon.com forward slash Grant Smith Ellis. I uh, might be um, putting out even more work uh, in the short term on Patreon, but all of my work is free uh, to access. Even if you give me a small donation per month, that just means you get some of my stories 30 minutes early. Uh, but you can always access my content for free across social media at Grant Smith Ellis. If you want to watch the monthly broadcast of the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission hearing, uh, you can do that on the first or second Thursday, starting at 9 a.m., myself and my colleague Eric Casey from Burn After Reading, an excellent substack. We broadcast that uh, via facebook.com forward slash Grant Smith Ellis. Uh, do check it out. And again, uh, thank you, Cole, for all of your work. And I'll look forward to seeing how this very interesting debate plays out in Illinois uh, agency versus commission. Thank you again. Uh, your time is appreciated and uh, your, your, your uh, insights as well. So thank you so much. Thanks, Cole. I just want to thank Shaleen Title and Grant Smith-Ellis once again for setting aside time in their day um, to discuss this. Once again, just to wrap up, the state's proposal seems to be for an agency, and that proposal has three main priorities, they say, to protect and safeguard social equity, to have transparency and responsiveness to the industry and community, and to have a streamlined and coherent regulatory framework um so definitely read the, the bill the full text i'll try to throw a link into the podcast description um there's some other things mentioned in the the meeting that i was in i'm just looking at the different ideas that i had noted so in in the vein of transparency 
um it sounds like there would be maybe an idea of annual reports as well as regular meetings uh to hear from communities about what barriers to entry they're suffering through and productive ways to overcome those barriers i don't know if that's industry focused but it definitely sounded like it um one thing that i liked the sound of with regard to transparency and responsiveness is the idea that they would create a consumer and industry protection board or division or something like that inside of the agency i don't know if that's on this one pager here but the point of that would be to gather um investigate and respond to complaints i'm trying to see if they have any of this language here okay yeah on the one pager that i displayed earlier i'll display it again um they claim that it would create a consumer and industry protection division to take and investigate complaints made by both consumers and industry employees this division would be able to publish on the CROO website how many complaints were made, the type of complaint, and how many re were resolved. This data could also be included in those annual reports that I mentioned earlier. Um, and let me just see, you know, there's there's many other things on here. I'm just trying to give you the meat and potatoes. Uh, definitely want you to research yourself. I personally don't know where to fall on this. Um, you know, if you can't tell, I do think it's worth considering that former proposals i don't think it's inherent so yeah let me be clear just because it's a commission doesn't mean inherently it's going to include that 40 percent provision it is definitely suspect though that that just happened to be in that proposal but that's just my personal opinion like why was that in there um who put that in there and for what again what reason was was that in there and and i have to agree with the office of the CROO it's troubling that that would be in there um because i like i actually kind of like that that limit that they have at least i like the concept of it 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 seems to promote um it, to promote diversity in product you know if you can't have more than 40% of any product i feel like it's got to be hard to comply with like what if everybody buys a certain product and then you all of a sudden only have, or then all of a sudden you do have all of that product. I don't know exactly how that works in practice, but anyways, again, just troubling that it was in a former proposal. It And I question, and as you saw in my segment with Pamela, I, I'm wondering why, you know, now the change of heart, why are we considering an agency versus a commission? And you know, one of the last thoughts I'll leave you with is that it just feels rushed. And I don't know. I don't know if it's like time is of the essence and we won't have the numbers later or something type of deal. Um, but I really wish that we would take more time to discuss these issues in the public. And that's really my my intent behind making this entire report. If you've watched this long, uh, thank you so much um, for listening. And if you enjoy our content, consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, the website's patreon.com slash Chillinois. I hope you found value in this episode, and we'll see you on the next one. Take care.